What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Nita. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. We're just a couple of artsy bitches learning about what makes art good and how to talk about it. Why is this the most cursed day of my life? <laughs> Do you want to tell the listeners what just happened? <laughs> I almost choked into get death on some Advil. <laughs> And then, but I'm also late. This has been a horrible morning. I ate this already. Gaia and I mixed up the time zones, and then Gaia just got their wisdom teeth taken out, and then was trying to swallow an Advil, and then that didn't work. And then I took my sweater off, and I punched Cameron in the face. It's a mess. It's a mess. What are you snacking on? What's your snack? Let's start with snacks. Um, I I could not decide. I had so many. Um. The, the Meet the Parents episode of Schitt's Creek, where uh, Patrick has to come out to his parents, it's actually really good and handled so much better than Happiest Season, and it made me so happy, and like, please go watch it. It's Season 5, Episode 11, go watch it. My other snack is the film Devil Wears Prada, which I watched with my friend Ava at like 2am a few nights ago. Dionne Warwick's Twitter is so funny, you all have to go follow her. And if anyone compares Taylor Swift and Phoebe Bridgers one more time, I will commit a uh, just so you know we're not talking about taylor swift at all during this episode for any reason and i will not say a single word about if i see one more tweet that's like phoebe bridgers is taylor swift for girls who drown their sims or like taylor swift is phoebe bridgers for girls whose parents still like each other i'm gonna lose my mind stop they're not the same leave my phoebe bridgers alone leave miss phoebe alone do not compare her to taylor swift i will commit a heinous crime stop that's all. Those are my snacks. All right, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna not acknowledge Taylor Swift. I. I. I refuse to know anything about her. I will say that I did listen to the album, um, and it's not as good as Folklore. Folklore's pretty good, and Evermore's not that great. It's fine though. Anyway, my snacks for this week is getting my fucking wisdom teeth out, um, which actually, notably for the listeners, hurt less than getting an IUD and continues to hurt less than getting an IUD. Um, wow. Not to, like, ever discourage anyone from re- getting birth control, because um, birth control is really great, um, but um, I don't know. I'm still experiencing side effects from my IUD, and they are overpowering my wisdom teeth side effects. They are stronger than the wisdom teeth. Um, so my snacks this week are, I'm making earrings out of my wisdom teeth. Yes! Also, one of my good friends sent me a letter this week! A letter. (gasps) I sent her a letter and then she sent me a letter and now I'm losing my fucking mind. It was the most satisfying thing I've ever done in my life. That's so sweet. I can't wait to have time to send people letters. I have no time. Oh, but I started my short film she's done mostly except we have to make some minor adjustments but like in my class i was told that it's basically film festival ready so that's exciting yay speaking of films cinema we're covering something i won't say what it is until gaia does the roadmap oh boy you know are you new to bitch why don't be new or do actually welcome (laughs) sorry I'm sorry. Just turn the episode off if you're new. If you're new here, then you don't know that our episodes are made up of four parts. But if you aren't new here, then you recognize this is the same format that is in every single episode. Except for the Taylor Swift one. Except for the Taylor Swift one. 
Uh, yeah, our episodes are made up of four parts. Bitch what? An introduction to what we're talking about. Bitch how? A technical rundown of how it succeeds and fails as a piece of art. Bitch time. Three minutes of unintelligent, unfiltered, uncritical feeling thoughts. And finally, bitch why? A sum up of the implications and why anything matters. Why am I covered in mucus and the bitch meter? (laughs) (laughs) A little diversity score meter that we weren't learning math just to give you. It's not mucus, it's like snot. I'm gross right now. I'm so sorry. This is not my best day. (laughs) My suffering recorded. Speaking of suffering, what movie did we did we suffer through this week? Die Hard! Die Hard! yippee Kaye, motherfucker! That's the Christmas movie that we told y'all we were gonna cover and, like, Yay. nobody could guess. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Cleansing breath. It's time for Bitch What? This is where we just talk about what the thing is, Gaia. What is what is Die Hard? What isn't Die Hard? <laughs> what isn't Die Hard? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Die Hard is about a a nice young middle aged Bruce Willis flying across the country to his estranged wife, ex wife. Yes. I think they're I, still married. They're like still married, I think. Um, to his estranged wife and children for Christmas, he shows up to her holiday party. And then they get taken captive by a bunch of commie bastards. And then Bruce Willis has to fight his way out. Yes. Because the cops don't get him. The commie bastards don't get him. Nobody gets him. He's also a cop, though. He is a cop. important to note. This is copaganda. We'll oh, talk this about is a major, in- yeah. compelling case we'll ta- of copaganda. This, we'll talk. We'll talk. Rip to the black um, characters in this movie. R.I.P. Gaia. How did you come into contact with Die Hard? I watched it while making yeast risen naan with a pretty girl. So while we were waiting, when? the summer of fresh, the not the summer, the winter of freshman year, we were like, it's Christmas time. We're making naan. Wow. Let's watch Die Hard. <laughs> Obviously, I, it was very I love delicious. That. It was very good. I actually have pictures of the naan, and <laughs> I'm very proud of it. It's from many, it's from a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> I'll approve the non. You don't have to approve the non, but you should look at it because we did a very good job with it. I feel like you don't want my approval. Of I non. love your approval. I love your approval for anything. <laughs> I will take anyone's approval on anything that I've ever done. Oh my goodness. Um, this episode is not, oh, you know what? It actually looks really good. It was, it was, it was like a good, like I've, I've made, I make flatbread a lot, um, cause it's fun to make and it makes me feel joy and, and I need that sometimes. Should we put a picture of the non on the Instagram? We can. We should. Um, we will. But, um, <laughs> I'm, but that was one of my successful batches and it was probably cause I was watching Die Hard with a beautiful woman. <laughs> okay. And one of our listeners. Hi, Emma. Hi, Emma. Um, <laughs> How did you how did you come across Die Hard? I feel like the only reason I knew what Die Hard was is because I used to watch the TV show Friends. And in Friends they'd always mention Die Hard and they'd always be like, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. And they'd be like, This is the best Christmas movie. Like the three guys would always say that. During Christmas time they'd watch it and they'd like, you know, have like a bro fest. And then Bruce Willis had a like a stint on Friends where he dated Rachel for like a few episodes. 
which was like very weird um and i don't think they ever mentioned that he looked exactly like the guy from die hard he they they meant they never mention it or i don't they think do they did it. i also they also definitely mentioned a movie with brad pitt once and then brad pitt was on the show because he and did they mention brad pitt by dating. name yeah i feel like they did that it's happened a few times on friends where like they'll mention a movie that has somebody in it and then that somebody will like cameo but like as a different character and then it's like awkward because it's like in what alternate universe like who played the NYPD officer in Die Hard Brad if it Pitt. wasn't for Bruce Willis? If like, if Brad it wasn't Pitt Bruce Willis. is an actor in this film. Also, my my dad, so I don't know. I think it's all, like, middle-aged men, straight men that, like, love, like, James Bond and Die Hard and the Bourne movies. My dad has all of them on DVD. It is fun to watch a movie with mindless violence. Yeah, it's a very dad movie. My dad and can I actually tell you a funny story? Yeah. Well, I was watching I was watching um the prom while my first of all <gasps> I was watching the prom with which is not a very good movie. We should review it. It's not very good. But I was watching it and um while I was watching it, my dad and my stepdad and my siblings were all watching a movie together in a separate room. And they were like, oh, we should watch Die Hard. And I was like, no, you can't watch Die Hard without me. I have to watch Die Hard with you because I have to cover it for my episode. <laughs> and then you do guess. I will, you will never guess which movie they decided to watch instead. What? Tangerine. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I was like, okay. you guys are going to watch LGBT cinema? <laughs> There are just no queer movies, Gaia. There are just, there are just no, no queer movies. There are just, just no They really gay liked movies. it. They were like, my dad had a moment. He came downstairs after watching it, and he was kind of, like, distraught. Um, I've wow. actually never seen it, which is really fucked up. And he was like, Gaia, Gaia, I was thinking about how sad that movie is. And then I was like, that's just what trans women deal with every day. And I was like, Sean, <laughs> Sean, it's all coming together. Is it time for Bitch How? I think it's time for Bitch How. For bitch it's how? Bitch. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> no, where we talk about how the the the, the thing film succeeds and succeeds fails. or fails as a thing. Okay, uh, first of all, this is copaganda. This is yeah. heavy, like heavy copaganda. I am so tired of this idea, and obviously, this was made in 1988. This is also like pre 9/11, which like also pre 9/11, pre Columbine. There's a book about how films changed, specifically horror films and action films changed after 9-11 because we used to, like, if you look at, like, uh, 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 what's the Will Smith alien one? Independence Day. Oh. And how easily it looks, like, how easily they just destroy monuments in that movie, which came out before 9-11 versus, like, day after tomorrow sort of situation or, like, Final Destination, or, like, anything in terms of, like, whenever, like, a monument is destroyed now, there is, like, there's just a different connotation with that than, like, how easily it was, like, they would just blow shit up in action movies pre-9-11. But also, I'm just, what I'm very tired of is this, this idea that, like, a cop is gonna, like, put his life on the line in that way, and that he's, like, capable he enough of, like, taking down an entire system by himself, 
they're not, like, it, yeah. It was very, like, like, it feels kind of calling to Dirty Harry. Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in terms of, like, I think, like, this is a very popular cop motif, which is the the cop that is, like, kind of halfway between a cop and a vigilante. So mm-hmm. it's got all the, like... He's, like, too hard and, like, angry of a cop for the other cops, but he's the only cop who's willing to do the things that the cops have to do. And all the other cops are so committed to, to what's it called, de-escalation, and that's stupid, and de-escalation is stupid. And that's, like, what, this movie is literally, like, a bunch of cops trying to be, like, what if we, like, de-escalated this situation, and Bruce Willis being, like, what if we instead shot the people who are in here, who have weapons? even though I'm the only person here. There's a really interesting Twitter thread, and I'm going to try to find it, about, like, why we can't have, like, a gritty Batman movie. Because Batman, it would just be employing all the things that real-life cops actually do, and he's seen as, like, an alternative to cops. But because he is just exactly what cops wish they could be it doesn't work and batman is not seen as like a the because they're making that robert pattinson gritty one there's like he's just using all the tactics in which cops would like to use if they had free reign over everything um and like what would be a more interesting plot line for batman now is like batman understanding the corruption of the cops and then fighting that uh instead of like trying to hurt there's an opening like social programs (laughs) yes yeah literally opening social programs and then also like busting corrupt cop systems that'd be so hot which would be be really excited about i would i think that's so hot and i think also because because this idea of a vigilante who like takes matters into his own hands means that he is like judge jury and executioner so like that and but again cops are already doing that this is kind of, like, tangential, so we're, we can cut me off whenever we feel like mm. it. Um, but um, something that's interesting to me, like, that I think that leftist movements need to talk about more and don't have a solid understanding of, which I think is very clear when you listen to our discourse about um, cops, is, like, if Batman went on, like, a anti-cop, like, vengeance streak... Like, what Mm -hmm. would justice be if we took away the criminal justice system as we know it? And, like, Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of, like, weird clashing rhetoric in in the left that's, like, defund the police but also imprison the police. Right. Which I always find very interesting because, like, one of the major issues, like, I have with our current system of justice is, like, the prison system. And I wouldn't... and and i and part of and and something that the left struggles with is like i don't think people who are morally pure should go into the prison system i don't think people who are morally impure should go into the prison system either because i don't think anyone should go into the prison system because i think our current prison system is so so violently in, inhumane that i don't think mm-hmm. humans should be subjected to it and um right. that's that's something that i've been thinking about a lot um is I don't think the left has done a good job of redefining what justice is when we are redefining, like, the parameters of how we want enforcement to work. Right. I think I also, like, had a lot of these conversations with my dad in, like, June and July and, like, still push him on these on these conversations. But when he's, when he's like, you need to make these small incremental steps 
and like you can't just say abolish and I'm like right but also like people's lives are hanging in the balance of this like weird gray area between defund and abolish and also if we defund and then put those cops in prison we're still upholding the system that we're trying to get rid of so none of this makes sense but also I feel like the left is so afraid of saying anything extreme. I also just don't yeah. think, like, like I don't have the answer to that question, but I don't think, like, like I I am, like, definitely a leftist. Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, obviously, I don't know if anything about, like, what I just said has any <laughs> leftist. Like, like, if you don't realize that I'm, like, leftist, then, uh-huh. like, maybe you should take a poli-sci class. <laughs> um, but, right. like, I, I think that um, something the left, is currently not successful at is like we want to create a world that is free from these oppressive systems of of pseudo justice um and we have not yet decided like where where we want to go and we're kind of stuck in like a reactionary place where we're like oh look at all this injustice look at all, all this violence and mm-hmm. like how do we and we just need to like fight at like scream out against this violence which is like definitely not a bad thing like like calling out violence and protesting it is never gonna be the wrong thing to do right um i just don't think we have yet come up with a satisfying alternative to it because because conversations about justice i think are actually where the left starts to fracture into more distinct political groups which is i think really interesting like you have like like state communists versus like anarcho-communists and like where you start to see the um the spectrum of like libertarian versus government supportive i don't know what the opposite of libertarian is in in a single (laughs) word um but like where you start to see that that spectrum Mm -hmm. start to come into play and that's really compelling because um i think a lot of young people who are just getting into activism I think people have an acute sense of injustice and don't have as acute of a sense of justice. And that's compelling to me. ContraPoints did a really cool video on justice recently. People like my dad don't want to envision a world without prisons. And I don't understand why not. Because they clearly don't do the thing that everyone claims to think they... Like, claims that they do. And therefore, like... I guess, I guess the way that I function is, like, okay, well, if something's broken, throw it away. Like, if you, if your blender was broken, you just buy a new blender. Like, you just go out and get another one. Like, I feel that, like, this system is broken. It was built on a broken foundation. I think we need a new one. But, like, it's exhausting to make incremental tiny changes in the in the name of like making everybody on the left happy i mean i guess like when i'm talking about the left i'm not talking about the like the like center left i think the part far left is more politically diverse than it understands itself to be mm. um that and too. i don't know oftentimes the same people calling to abolish prisons are the same are the people calling to lock up brianna taylor's killers which is like like, in our current system, the appropriate response is to lock up Breonna Taylor's killers, but, like, how can you simultaneously call to abolish the police and abolish prisons and also call to prosecute the police? I, you know, honestly, I think that there are two, 
I know that you think that, like, those are two groups of people. I think the activists I follow, though, and the activists you follow as well, are a little more clear on their demands. But then I think the, like, social media train yeah, that no, people that, have I, gotten no, on. I mean, actual yeah. activists have opinions yeah. on this. Yeah, like, I, yeah, like, I feel obviously. like actual activists know how to, <laughs> like, like, speak on both of those issues. Like, like, this is not, like, this is, I'm not, like, speaking of, like like are like real people who are actually no activists. no no but, like, i know I, I know what you mean that... i wanted to clarify for the listeners yeah at home. no it's just so much and we haven't even started talking about die hard we started talking about die hard and then we started talking about how vigilantism brings up questions about about what justice looks like uh-huh. however i feel like you Ooh, okay bringing it to die hard the diehard slash Batman slash Daredevil way of fixing the problem also is not a viable option because yes. you cannot leave the justice system up to one person, just like you cannot leave it up to like a bunch of individual shitty persons. People. I also think that like something that's interesting about movies about vigilante justice that I find very compelling and I think that is like something that I think is a a frame of thought that I think we should maybe lean into more and, like, think about a little harder, Um, Mm -hmm. is, like, so generally, like, we tend to split our conversations about criminal justice into, like, you've got, like, the, like, bleeding heart left talking about how we shouldn't have prison and we shouldn't have cops and everything should be nice, and then you've got the, like, the, like, hard right who are like we should put everyone in prison who who has ever done anything mean but mostly just brown people um and and they should be shot as soon as they enter prison because i think that that should be nice so like we've got kind of those like two camps of um obviously there's nuance there i was being unnuanced for for joke for mm-hmm. jokes for a joke uh, not for not because i like don't understand um but so so we've got the kind of those two camps and like generally the right leading camp tends to really like movies like die hard and like dirty harry and batman and daredevil because they're like ah yes that's what should be happening to to criminals and the left tends to really like movies where like about redemption and about um and about reform and justice like um and like systems failing so we we like those kinds of narratives and the left doesn't really like to interact that much with the right's narratives and the right doesn't really like to interact that much with the left's narratives because they're kind of like the antithesis of what we believe justice to be about but i think there's something interesting to be said about applying a leftist framework to a movie like die die hard because it brings up questions of like we can still uphold our framework of like prison abolition even when the people who are doing the crimes are genuinely bad people because prison abolition like and prison reform still holds up when you like think about there being bad people in the world and like it'd it'd be interesting to kind of like lean into those conversations and be like hey i know you think left leftists think that everyone is just a good person and that like every every criminal is just like someone who needs to be like like given a hug and like a lollipop (laughs) Um, i know that's what you think leftists think about about crime um but like leftists are smart people who have the capacity to address these types of situations as well like situations where people genuinely are violent and hurting people um and like you can apply to a prison 
reform frame to these people as well. Reform and abolition frame. Right, and also the other reason why, I mean, Hans Gruber, the villain in this film, played by Alan Rickman, R.A.P., his motivation isn't it not just wealth and capital and trying to attain yeah, it. Yeah, and that's so, tea. And, and so, you know, looking at all the system, like, so so people are often with, with prison reform, they're like, but what about, like, all the bad people? And it's like, great, but if you look at all the reasons why people turn to crime, if we hit those systems first and fix those systems first, crime will go down to a point where we don't need prisons. And if someone actually needs rehabilitation, we have rehabilitation centers and and things that actually do the thing we hope they do without then continuing to criminalize those people once they re-enter the workforce or whatever they they choose to do post rehabilitation there's not really any aspect of the justice system that works nor would it even work i mean for any any villain in any movie the prison system also makes them worse when they get out in the sequel or whatever i just don't and i think we know that consciously like we see them like i don't know i don't it's hard for my brain to like wrap around like applying prison reform to a movie like Die Hard but I understand how it works but we also get like such a deep look at both characters that it's like we know Bruce Willis has good intent however he is also a cop however he's also working in opposition to the cops because he's like I can do this myself and it's like such a confusing narrative when you bring all of this other stuff in you know what I mean like I think we like the idea that there's like of like a single person figuring out stuff like mm-hmm. this because it right it, it makes me think about this thing um this thing in construction this is weird time for a quirky guy analogy when you're like doing a cut for a piece of for a construction thing you you like there's like many different areas at which you could make an error and then at that point the error could be like compounded so like let let's say like i'm measuring like a door frame so that i can like so i can figure out the height of the door that i need to cut by hand <laughs> because i'm making a door <laughs> um and so when when i'm making those when i'm making that cut i have the i can make an error when i'm measuring it for the first time um, and I can make an error when I measure the piece of wood, and then I can make an error when I measure when I mark the piece of wood, and then I can make an error when I cut the piece of wood, and then when I put the door up, the door the door would then be like exponentially off what the measurement would be, right? Because mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. at every single stage there is like a new compoundment of the error that I made when I measured it, right? Right. Does right. that make sense? Yes. Um, and people don't and and when you. Th- Think about that in in conjunction with like like law enforcement and like systems. You're like people like to think that there's just one person who can fix everything because they're like there's no compounding errors, there's no like there's no challenges. They just they just get it. They're just a little person and they get it. Um, mm-hmm. And and so people don't like to think about the idea that like this the situation in Die Hard could have been solved more easily and with less violence if a lot of people had worked hard on it together and like different systems had come together to try and like figure the situation out. 
because we've got this idea of compounding error and I think that's bad. I think that's just something that's convenient for cops to think to have us think. I also think because this came out in 1988, we had a more simplistic idea of what terrorism looks like and then slowly you have like then Columbine, then 9/11 and now the thing ter- people don't want to admit is terrorism which is like <laughs> uh not overseas terrorism it's like stuff that predominantly straight are doing to this country is 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 murdering people um and that's it's weird to me that that's something that like people don't want to admit is terrorism even though it very much is despite the fact that we've had multiple we have so many action movies that show us what violence and 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 villains and terrorism looks like but then we don't want to recognize it when it's in when the call is coming from inside the house which is very I do think weird like that like brings me back to my like kind of weird weird kind of tangent of like like how do we apply um different frameworks of justice when we're looking at terrorism from like how do from I from the from the person who is the protagonist in this film I mean, shout out to this movie for having white, um, villains. I mean, they are German. They are German, which means they're commie bastards, but... Right, so you've got the thing that's being demonized in this movie is foreignness, and not necessarily whiteness, but in in any other film about terrorism, it would be both. I, I'm currently grappling with the feeling of, like, rage at, like, white supremacists within our country that perpetuate acts of violence Mm -hmm. and then similar rage at um systems in our country that perpetuate acts of violence um and acts of white supremacy and that that rage often feels feels like it's in conflict um right right and i don't think that i just don't think we have yet figured out what what the answer to that conflict is. I have a weird question. Yeah? Do you ever think that those those individual, what, those lone wolf killers, like, do you think they ever see themselves in the place of, like, the Bruce Willis character? No, I think they totally do. I think, I actually think, like, this movie is totally, like, one of the movies that, like, gives, that gives people, like, the feeling that they can go and, like, just start their own, like, tiny baby revolution. And I think movies like mm-hmm. this, like... And Joker. <laughs> the like Joker. Joker movie. Well, but I'm thinking about, like, like specific, like, shooters who, mm-hmm. and, um, right. and just people who have gone and done the whole lone wolf violent thing he's and, like, fully armed in this movie like, yeah that's he, there's weird. never a part like where he's not like ready to fucking go like he just and he's also wearing a wife beater by the way which just is another like moment just for me nuance that I just, you know just you know nuance. Just nuance i'm giving um, die hard like too much nuance like honestly yeah we like, are giving it a lot of thing. nuance i'm not like i'm not giving this nuance to die die hard die hard just made me think about think some of about these, like some mm-hmm. of these pieces of like some of these things that I'd like to apply to like my political community and my um my philosophical community like I want to think harder about these things and I think we should like start having these conversations and Die Hard made me think about them but like make no mistake Die Hard is not smart enough <laughs> for this 
I, I will say I, I when when reading about Die Hard, there was a lot of like interesting commentary on like how the movie is at its best when it centers around how what is his name? I keep saying Bruce Willis, but what's his name in the movie? It doesn't matter. It doesn't it matter. Does anyway, matter. I mean, I, here, actually, Ali- my friend Alyssa is. was listening to the podcast last week, and she said it was so funny that we kept saying Harper and then Kristen Stewart instead of Abby. John McClane. <laughs> John McClane. Okay, a lot of people were talking about how, like, John McClane as a character is at his best when he's, like, self-loathing. You realize, like, very easily, like, very quickly at the beginning of the film, he doesn't like himself. He doesn't like the position he's in with his wife. He wants to be a better person. And when the movie centers around his relationship with his wife, the movie is at its best, which I thought was really interesting. I feel like I see so many narratives where, like, a white couple is married and they're like, oh, this whole ball and chain. I like that his fulfillment is in repairing his relationship with his wife. Um, And then in the second one, it's also kind of about that. But then what I heard, I've not seen all the other ones, but also, can we just talk about how Die Hard 2 is called Die Hard 2, Die Harder? Anyway, in the later later movies, they stop kind of focusing on his wife in the same way that um, the Taken movies stop focusing on Liam Neeson's daughter and wife and and they go farther into like more zooming. Sorry, I'm so sorry. out more and then become less personalized so i like that aspect i think also like the same reason why people latch on so hard to the fast and furious movies is they're about family right like they like action movies at their core when they're good are about interpersonal connection and i just had never thought about that before because i usually think i mean james bond is nothing to do with interpersonal connection which is why it's just like a little more like heavy on the sex and the, and the drinking and the action then it, but then you know at its core like i feel like the diehards the taken the fast and the furious are 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 trying to say things about like the lengths we'll go to for our relationships i again not to excuse any of what we just talked about but just zooming in on the to this other aspect of this movie um that is where i found most of the analysis and like the core connection people are finding with Die Hard. I think that it, like, calls back to, like, what most people politically care about isn't mm-hmm. actually, like, and, and this is another reason why leftist framework, like, it's it's hard to hit people who are, like, especially, like, rural people. I just spend a lot of time with rural people. Like, it's hard to hit people with leftist critique because they're, like, systems i don't care about systems i care about my family and my people and my immediate life and even though their immediate life and their family and their people are affected by systems it's hard to apply that framework and like an action movie is like a movie where it's like you're not you don't have to apply anything higher than the immediate things you care about like this is a movie that's just about the things that you care about which is your family And that's kind of, like, compelling, like, to to think about, like, what is the American psyche of Mm -hmm. violence and, like, what we think violence is and what we we imagine is um, a cycle of violence. 
when you look at Die Hard, it's kind of clear that, like, what we think of as, like, the things we're worried about is really just, like, getting home. Getting to the proverbial home with our proverbial wife and our proverbial children. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is me just trying to figure out how to communicate with with non-leftists and leftists alike about what my ideology is and what I want it to be. You know the movie Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri? I've never seen it, but I know of it. I really hated it. Like, I really hated it because it claimed to be a movie about a mother getting revenge for her daughter's rape and murder, but then ended up kind of, like, humanizing a really corrupt cop played by Sam Rockwell, which is why I had so much residual Sam Rockwell anger with JoJo With JoJo Rabbit! (laughs) Um, Ah. I'm wondering, though, like, the people that that movie resonated with were, they were able to take all of that kind of, that family family connection from both those characters, both the mom who kind of got her story, like, sidelined later, and this, like, shitty cop, though, who has, like, a relationship with his mom in the film that you, like, see a lot of to, like, quote-unquote humanize him. I don't, I, I understand, I'm wondering, I'm just, my wheels are turning and I don't have the right words to articulate it, but it's kind of like, again, what, what is most important to those narratives for the kinds of people that we're talking about is, like, family connection and like the lengths people will go to for their families but then i looked at that movie as like perpetuating all of the the like shittiness of the systems that they're working against without those people recognizing that they're working against systems and not just like individuals and like what made me so mad about that movie is that because of the way it ended it ended up like humanizing this like shitty cop dude who like literally like beats people up in the street in the film but like the people who are watching these movies who are primed to watch these movies don't care about that they care about my family with the like what i do for my family you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you're right and i think that's also some work i have to do is like how do we engage with these movies and engage with that rhetoric without vilifying people for caring about their families because that's the thing they latch onto but then also like finding a common ground with the understanding that like it's not just about that it's also about like the system like how can we have both i feel like they naturally work together and i and i also like think because i think like the things that our family are struggling with are the systemic issues that we're struggling with like like our family like like the proverbial family is struggling with all the things that um that all the systemic issues it's just like it's takes some like mental athleticism to like understand that and i think it's interesting because i think that it's like not the individual's job to like to like go in and change the hearts and minds of the of the centrists, right? Like, I don't think that's everyone's job. Like, we shouldn't all feel that is in our um, repertoire. But I think it's interesting as people who are, like, making a public product to think about, like, what what is in the hearts and minds of the people who disagree with us. Um, like, I, I don't know. I, this, like, this is kind of an independent thing that I struggle with, which is, like, how much can you change someone's mind and, like, how much can you, like, really get to them? 
a lot of the activists I engage with seem kind of split down the middle of like people being like every all activism is is just like reaching out and like touching someone's heart mm. and like getting them or they're like no it actually doesn't matter at all uh we're just gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna we're just gonna yell and and stuff like we're gonna just not care about changing anyone's mind we're just gonna try and like do um we're just gonna like go protest and um and try and like change systems and um I think neither of those point of views are right and I don't think either of them are necessarily wrong either and movies like this are interesting because like this is what's going on inside the centrist's mind right (laughs) (laughs) guys like this is the key this is it no like Die Hard Die Hard is the movie that like the centrists want to watch yeah yeah. For Christmas. Because it, because it very clearly outlines good guy, bad guy, good guy fixes, problem solved. This is what goes on inside their mind. So it's interesting to take this opportunity and think about, like, what's changeable about this? What do I understand about this? What do I not understand about this? And so, like, what the things that I'm interested in is, like, the, the, the family dynamic. And then also the, like, what what does vigilantism mean in this movie? And, like, what are the roles of the cops and what is the villain in this movie because this is what's going on inside the centrist's mind. <laughs> ah! I think it's bitch. I think it's bitch time. But that was bitch why. Like, I don't know that what That was we're we really bitch why. I have, I have some things to say for bitch why and I think we can make it a little more fun. Um, not that this wasn't fun. I think we can make it a little more like Christmas Light. related. Christmas-y. A little, little more lighthearted. Uh, but let's, let's just do bitch time. This is bitch time where we have like three minutes to just bitch about whatever we want about the movie or otherwise. Okay, and ah, go. All um, the weird German twinks. <laughs> I <laughs> just little twinks. I I I love. I think Bruce Willis is with hair is kind of hot. It, is he hairy in this movie? He's got hair on it. his head. He's not oh, bald on in his this head. movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's kind of hot. Um, he's he's just a he, he looks so slicked up the whole time. Yeah. He's so moist. He's so moist. From a costume design perspective, that idea of like the white shirt getting dirtier and dirtier is what they used in the movie Ready or Not. Like she like specifically the costume designer for Ready or Not was like I just like watched Die Hard and was like yeah the way his like wife beater shirt gets dirtier and dirtier is I just used that and I thought that that was interesting. That's inter- uh, that is interesting. That's it a is fun time. It's really cool. Also, I don't watch like the when movie Ready or Not. It's cool. Broken glass. Ooh, the mirror neurons. <laughs> I don't like Ooh, it. I, I don't think it. he had to do that. He didn't I, have to do that. I don't think he had to do anything in this movie that he did. <laughs> I think the movie would have ended the same if he hadn't done anything. <laughs> That's true. What's There's so many movies like that where it's like this person, if this person didn't actually do anything, they didn't affect the plot in any way. So it would have ended the same. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. It seems like he just was being kind of, kind of dumb. Like, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's just, like, like, I feel like. The same, like, I don't think he did a very good job because, like, so many, like, people were injured or killed and, like, I, I just <gasps> think he did a pretty bad job and probably about the same thing would have happened if the cops had intervened. And so I kind of wish he had just kind of sat tight. There's a movie with The Rock in it, um, Skyscraper, 
and same kind of situation and then someone pointed out to me when i watched it with them they were like oh this movie would have ended the same if he had done nothing and i was like oh i guess that's kind of the point with action movies is and i'm sure if you track i would love to make a spreadsheet of action movies that would have had the same outcome had the hero not done anything because <laughs> i think that might be just the thing right is we just want to see shit get blown up and we don't really care about plot, really. I do like watching an explosion. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I love a well-choreographed fight scene. Although this movie I, yeah. isn't, like, ripe with... I mean, the, the scene in the elevator shaft is really cool. Is really cool. I, I like I think that I scene. like more hand-to-hand combat. Like, Winter so Soldier is really exciting to me. Um, there's a lot of really good hand-to-hand combat in, like more recent the first of the new star wars movie has some really great combat that i think is fun right and i think that like i'm less inclined towards okay well that's time anyway (laughs) Um, we're doing bitch how during bitch time really were i am less inclined i just i think i'm when i notice like gun violence now in films i'm like uh, uh, like it's too much and I think we're just really desensitized to it in a really gross way yeah like I don't like I don't like watching guns just because I don't like the, that that much um, but also like it reminds me of like my problem with the wizard gun which is like that's such a boring way to the like, wizard gun off someone oh my god Remember we haven't said a cab this entire time ah uh, by the way by the way A-cab. I mean if you did if you not already know from this, this conversation a cab if you didn't get a cab out of this movie then maybe you should watch it again <laughs> I think um okay or I think not for watch bitch it why again. I think for bitch why what we should decide. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes, because it's the mind of the centrist is a Christmas mind. <laughs> okay, well, I was, I had a list. I had genre. You had thoughts, but I was I ready thoughts. to go. You were ready. I mean, I was going to be like, well, it takes place during an office Christmas party and like they play like. Christmas music at the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. And also, if you want to, like, get mad, like, Love Actually barely has Christmas in it. But, like, that's a Christmas movie. And also, genre's not real. Genre I think genre's is stupid. Actually, my friend Alyssa, I guess this is a good, this is this is if some impact, but, like, our impact is Alyssa is in grad school, and she's taking a class right now that is focusing on the romance genre. And, and one of the teachers was like, if there isn't a happy ending, there's, it's not a romance. And she was like, after listening to the podcast last week, she agrees kind of, but also understands that like happy endings can come in different forms. And I think that saying that implies that the two people end up together when like it might be healthier for them not to be together is actually a happy ending and could make it a part of the romance genre. However, we have only seen romance films, action films family drama films satire from like mostly cis straight white people so like how can we decide really functionally what what genre is when when only a certain demographic has like solely contributed to it since this just like fits in perfectly with my like tirade against the dramatic writing department at new york university Mm -hmm. unork new university new north Uh, new university (laughs) new unork (laughs) unork (laughs) <laughs> da, 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 da. No anyway. one opens the door. 
Uh, the way <laughs> <Gotcha>. <laughs> oh, Jesus. the way that the way that um dramatic writers are taught about writing is like very much like rigidly within like a platonic form of writing which platonic be i'm i don't mean like like friendship i mean like plato which which is like a lot of like our great writing philosophies that like they just kind of like vomit into our mouths every day um, <laughs> in writing school is like just this like one dude that everyone thought was good was right um and honestly like i don't know is this a hot take like i don't think plato's that smart like he it seems like someone else could have come up with his stuff like and someone else probably did and he was the one who write it all down yeah like i don't know like plato's cool like i like his little cave thing um (laughs) and i like i like the idea of a platonic form um but but, um, yeah, like, I think that part of the, like, I think that worshipping um, philosophers as writer gods has um, mm. made our writing worse because it has made it harder for us to imagine and, what and genre can be. Atlantic acting school uses Aristotle's poetics. Like, yeah, oh yeah, we, dramatic like, writing loves an Aristotle's poetics. Right, so I think it also, not only has it affected writing, but it's also effect- affected, like, performance and, like, creation as a whole, and just, like, how we think about process, too, in, like, a really gross way. So this is what the, like, framework behind feminist epistemology is, um, mm. which is, <laughs> let me break that down for you. Um, epistemology being the study of how we, the philosophical, like, study of how we get knowledge into our brain mm-hmm. holes, and, right. like, how we learn, and feminism being the, the yeah, it's feminism. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, do you know what feminism is? Please use Google. But one of the ma- main tenets of feminist epistemology is, like, we have to re-question every single piece of knowledge we have because it was all brought to us by the same group of people and like mm-hmm. how can we trust it because such because like even if you ignore even if for some reason you wanted to ignore the many many um non-white men um left out <laughs> if you just include when men there's at least 50 percent of the population was cut out of all knowledge at least that's so much knowledge that is gone to history what were the girls and the gays thinking? What were they thinking? We don't know, because no one let them write it down. The girls and the gays and the and the people who weren't white. What were they thinking about? What were they thinking about? They, honestly, they, they were probably thinking, um, the girls and the gays at least were actually probably thinking about, like, things that were more important to their lives, like, um, how they were gonna make sure their families ate and stuff. Um, yeah. but the fact that the girls didn't have time to think about other stuff is also the men men's fault. Anyway, that's all. I just, I agree with you about how genre is restrictive. Yeah, genre is restrictive. I, like, I fully believe that the first, like, two Harry Potter movies feel like Christmas movies. And it's like, honestly, a Christmas movie is whatever movie you want to watch during Christmas time. That's such a dumbass debate. Which is why next week's episode is really, like, the ultimate Christmas movie. Yeah, next week is the ultimate Christmas movie. I feel like if it's got some snow in it or a Christmas song, and that's if there's a little jingly bell at any point, then it's a Christmas movie. At any point, if it takes place at an office Christmas party, and there's some some blowing shit up, that can also be a Christmas movie. I don't care actually to know whether or not it is because who decides whether or not it is? I also like I don't know why do we like Christmas movies? I have. I don't know. I don't know. 
This is super, super, super cliche. This is like the most boring thing I'm ever going to say in my life, just so you know. Okay, say it. Genuinely, the only thing that I like about holidays is being near my family, and like, that's basically what I care about. And so, like, not to, like, maybe I've gone too far into the centrist's mind. You, like, yeah, guy, you spent, you took a little too, you stayed I went there too a little deep. too long. And so any movie I watch with my family during a holiday is just gonna be a Christmas movie. Yeah. That's why I'm always gonna think of, like, I saw Parasite on New Year's, and so Parasite is always gonna be a, a New, New Year's, Year's movie. Oh, uh, that's so, I saw Cats on New Year's. That could have been, okay, so that's your fault, because I was going to say, Parasite <laughs> should have given some good omens to 2020. I watched Parasite, like, minutes before the hour turned. Okay, listen, we, Cats brought in last year. Like, Cats was the movie that, like, that's Parasite bad. was already getting buzzed. Cats came out in December. Yeah. Cats, cats is the reason for the year that we had. No, I mean, we, we ha- I have to take some responsibility and acknowledge that it was me reading A Little it Life. Was <laughs> okay, it's time for the bitch meter. Bitch meter! Guy, what did we give it for queer? For queer, we just did not give it anything. Uh, we should have given it something for all the little German twinks, but we just. <laughs> I don't think that's legally considered representation. No, it's not. But they are little German twinks. There are Um, quite a few of them. um, For gender, we gave it a one. It does have a woman. It has a woman. I feel like the story does center around his wife. But I also, like, there's one woman. This movie is very full of testosterone. I felt like I was drowning in testosterone. So, Mm -hmm. one. For race, we gave it a one. Um... It's got two black characters. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, um, one of them's a cop. One of them's a cop, and one of them's a cab driver. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, the cab driver is the best part of the movie. He's great. He's so good. Um. So, but I mean, what am I to say? Where's the critique here? <laughs> Disability, we gave it an N.A. We just, um, yeah. That's all. Uh, for body positive, we gave it our standard N.A. minus one for one dollar cast a non-thin person. Cast a fat person for one dollar. Just do it. Okay, so for class, I gave it a three. Again, I think I mentioned it with, like, Hans Gruber's, like, his whole, his, what's interesting about him as a villain is his not, his, like, his plot is not, like, world domination or anything. It's quite literally just capital. Um, and then you have, like, Bruce Willis's character, who is, like, very much, like, blue, like, like, blue collar, he's a cop, he, like, I don't know, I think mm-hmm. there's an interesting class conversation in there, I don't there's know There's also some conversation art. about how he's, like, not good enough for his wife, right? Because he's a cop. Right, because he's, he's a cop. A, he's yeah. just a little blue collar guy. Yeah, there's, the, and then taking, taking this, taking down this guy whose soul motivation is capital is interesting to me and i feel like it says a little more than if the movie it's because and I think in com- the psyche oh no, yeah. of the centrist cares about class conflict they just don't know that they care about class conflict class con- 
Yeah, they class they consciousness. Care, yeah, I knew they what care you were about class. Say. They care about class conflict, but they don't understand that they that also means that they care about class consciousness. Um, I also think that like you and I have just seen so many movies that have nothing to do with class or like don't really have anything solid that like I've read too much into it. We get a little um, zazzed every time it even seems like it's there. Yeah, every time like someone's like blue collar, like my ears perk up. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, like, oh, could this oh, be a conversation about... about class? Um, you care about class? Ah. I will say, like, um, a challenge of, uh, of leftist critique is that it often, like, falls on the shoulders of the people that it's trying to help. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, blue-collar workers. Not cops, because ACAP, but, like, you know, like, mamas. Farmers. The score! It's two! Okay, <laughs> Sorry, it's a 2 out of 10. <laughs> it's a 2 out of 10. It's a 2 out of 10. It's okay. This is a very chaotic Christmas episode. It's because my mouth hurts because I almost died taking my pain medication <laughs> before this episode started. <laughs> it's time for Harris's hot take. Da-da-da. Oh, hello. Hi, Harris. Welcome to Bitch Why. Good morning. Harris, have you seen Die Hard? Yeah, I watched it yesterday for the first time in my life. Wait, um, what? <laughs> yes. That's like such a weird coincidence. Amazing. Yeah. What did you think of it? What was your hot take? My hot take is that I was rooting for the villains because they were so sexy. Mm. Um, okay. They were so attractive. But also, my like, also my real hot take is I wonder what the like archetype of the american hero does to the psyche of of like young boys Mm. who grew up with bruce as their like guy and and it was so interesting die hard was so like referential to all the icons of american like heroes and i wonder what the uh, what other countries think of that and Mm. if they have similar like machismo kind of characters and if it affects them negatively or 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 bad or in a good way, because I wonder if a human is put if if different cultures are put in actual situations like in these movies, would they revert to the heroes that they've like watched on screen, or would they all just revert to like regular humans and crumble and fall? What a sexy take, Harris. Harris is sexy. I was thinking about it. That's amazing. <laughs> There's a very specific machismo, I think, it tied like tied to to yeah, this. It's, it's, it seems like the machismo isn't just about being a man in American cinema. It's about being an American man and mm-hmm. like really attached to nationalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna god. go vote. If you're in Georgia, vote. Yes, thank you, Harris. <laughs> we love you. I love you. Bye. Bye. Oh, it's plug time. It's, wait, it's no. Wait, no. What, what are you, you working, working on? on? What are you working on? <laughs> Um, what are you working on? This paper. It's due. It, well, the teacher made it due on Saturday. I still haven't started, and it's Thursday. And I got to write it. It's 20 pages it. long, and it's about genre, actually. And it's about horror tropes and final girls. But if you take the framework of a final girl and you apply it to the women at the end of Greek tragedies and, like, what it means if they are the final girls of their 
sexy tragedies that's all that's what i'm writing my professor please don't listen to this episode of the podcast where i admit to not being like done writing this paper um gaia what are you working on I'm going to tell a wholesome creativity story where I wrote a script, uh, the same script that I've been talking about writing for months. I wrote it and I was like, this is a bad script. And then I sent it to my people and I was like, ah, and then I reread it recently and it wasn't that bad. And that just goes to show that you're never as bad at something as you think you are. That's my wholesome creativity story for you folks today. Yes. Amazing. Oh my God. It is time for the end. You can follow me on Instagram at Gaia Rose River. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nita underscore Thadani, T-H-A-D-A-N-I. You can follow the Bitch Why Podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Bitch Why Podcast, or you can email us at b.tchwhy at gmail.com. If you send us an email, we'll definitely read it on the pod. All of the resources that we referenced will be in the show notes. Including Please leave right a, in, including a picture of Gaia's non. Maybe we'll put it on the Instagram. Uh, please leave a review and rate us on iTunes. Um, thank you so much to our editor and co-producer Cameron and our graphic designer Jillian. Yippee-ki-yay, bitches. Yippee-ki-yay.